Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the Watt. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. You guys the type of guy that, like, you just don't listen to. I'm not even going to ask you a question. I'm going to tell you. We gotta get macaroni and cheese off the table. Alright guys. It's just cheese and noodles. Alright, I'm going up I'm getting on my soap up. He said it's just it's just noodles and cheese or something and macaroni and cheese and sweet potatoes. Like go to, you gotta have that on your Thanksgiving table and this guy doesn't. And we gotta get it off the table. It's probably one of the most overrated dishes. Mm-hmm. You gotta have one side dish that has to be on the table. What would be your choice? Mac and cheese. (laughs) Less discussion about Mac Jones, more discussion about macaroni and cheese from yesterday, Patriots media availability. And I think Matt Judon was just kind of having fun with it. There was a certain get-off-my-lawn quality, and he is going to be 30 soon, so I guess he needs to act like an old man. I've never been one, though, Chris, to try to convince others not to like something that I don't like. Like, I don't like mustard. I'm not some anti-mustard crusader who's trying to get the world to banish all mustard. I don't care if other people like it. I just don't. I felt like Matt Judon was trying to lead the charge. Right. To begin a movement with no mac and cheese against mac and cheese. Yes, I macaroni don't, I don't and get cheese. That. Yeah, I, yes. I, I actually, I'm going to say I do get it. I do. You know, I don't know. It's just one of those that I think's weird on Thanksgiving. So I understand it. Let's lead the charge, Matthew Judon. I kind of like it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Mac and cheese to me is like, uh, I, I, I try to go with like what you know, the pilgrims of the native Americans were doing Mac and cheese. I don't think was there. So I'm saying, you know, I'm, I'm throwing the challenge flag on that one. Everybody out there. <laughs> yeah. They were smoking the peace pipe though. So you would have been down for that. A hundred percent. Pass that Judon. thing around. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't bogart my peace pipe. Matt <laughs> Judon, uh, I had, had, uh, may, maybe you guys are aligned in other ways too. 
He meant to say, apparently, I'm getting on my soapbox, and Pete says that he said I'm getting on my soap opera. I didn't even notice wow, it because I great. just assumed I missed that too. my brain processed it as soapbox. So if Pete says it, it must be true. I'm getting on my soap opera. That's a Judonism. A Judonism. Welcome to the show. At some point <laughs> I love in the it. future. But I, I, I'm very pragmatic when it comes to the idea that, you know, if there's something on the spread that people don't like that I like, that's good because that's just more for me. I get you. And I got you the there. flip side is right. like I don't like sweet potatoes, but I'm not going to try to start a petition in the family to get sweet potatoes off the table. Good. Put a big old thing of sweet potatoes there and let everybody else eat those. More of those stuff that I like for me. Eat all the sweet potatoes. Right. Just fill your plate with sweet potatoes and let me have all the other stuff that I like. So I just... Yeah, there's so many different types of food for Thanksgiving. I don't think anyone should be targeted for exclusion. It should be a very inclusive food holiday. And mac and cheese is part and has become in recent years it a really bigger has. part of the spread. Yeah, it really has. I mean, it, it's hard to talk to anybody that doesn't have it a part of the spread there. So, like, like what else are you adding to your plate? Because I'm just a turkey, mashed potatoes, stuffing guy, and then I'm going to get all, like, the hors d'oeuvres, the carrots, and the the chips and dip and all that stuff before the main meal. But, like, my main plate, I'm oh. only putting those three things on there. No, I'm not eating anything until it's time to get the plates. Because it's not a question of how much you put on the first plate. It's how many times do you go back. And I, I'm not a big fan of, like, overpowering my plates. No, I'm with you there. Hanging over the it's side. overwhelming. <laughs> I'll do what what I'll do is and the over under is two and a half total trips through the line. Gotcha. I'll do a reasonable first plate, then I'll go back for a more restrained second plate, and then whatever it is that I happen to really like that day, I'll have as the, the third run through. But nothing I, I'm I'm going on the Thanksgiving fast, no breakfast tomorrow. That's the one good thing about doing the meal, you know, mid afternoon. You can skip breakfast, get the workout in, burn off some calories on the bike before the meal and then uh and then have at it and and fight to stay awake that's the one thing i hate it is hard i the, hear you and every year that i think you know what i feel pretty good every time that thought passes through my brain yeah i pass out five minutes later yeah right you're you're just getting comfortable on the couch going man this is a good game and i'm really full i wonder what we're eating for dessert and then you're passed out yeah it, it does the, the, the late game at times certainly can be uh, a struggle because I'm sitting there going, oh, my gosh, too much to eat, too much to drink all day, you know, and you're, you're cozy on the couch. All right, so here's one more question, and maybe, I don't know, maybe we need to put this out to a poll question. Because I was having this discussion with a friend yesterday. When is it acceptable on Thanksgiving to have, like, you know, your first drink of the day? What is, what is the first, you know, adult beverage of the day? What are we looking at? Is it like kickoff of the first game? Are we talking when the pregame show starts, you know, at 11? Where we got? I see a little devilish grin on you there. What, what's your clock say? I, I had never <laughs> thought of that. I didn't think that it was permissible before the actual meal. I mean, I think you pop open a bottle of wine and you pour a glass of it when you get your first plate. But I don't know. You don't I have don't a know. you don't have a, a pre drink before you get there. You no. don't no, you don't? Oh before I get there, I am here. Well, no, no, I no. Okay. No. All right. I, but maybe I will now. You should. You're missing out. You're missing it. out on lots of good hours before before the meal. Man, it just makes it better. So I I try to wait till like twelve thirty, at least to like maybe kick off of the somewhere around there. 
the, the real question is whether you duck outside of the chicken coop to enhance your appetite with a little uh well, a little peace pipe. They go the- yeah, they go hand in hand, you know, one happens and then the other happens. So that that yeah. that'll definitely happen tomorrow for sure. <laughs> All right. Uh, here's what's going to happen today. We're going to go over everything that's happening in the NFL because obviously there is plenty that is going on in the National Football League. And let's begin by setting the table, no pun intended really, because it would have been very lame, for what went down yesterday by listening to what Joe Judge, the Giants head coach, had to say after the Monday night debacle in Tampa for the New York Giants. Here's Judge. We've got to do a better job scoring points. I know it sounds pretty obvious and to the point with it, but I'm going to keep it just very blunt on that right there. we got to do a better job putting our players in position to make plays. We have too many good players, you know. we, we got to put them in a better position to capitalize on it. That's it. we got to make sure, you know, we sit down tomorrow as a coaching staff and understand how we got to play this game and give our players a chance to make plays. you have still have faith in Jason Garrett and your offensive I have faith in all the people on our team, players, coaches, everything. But, you know, look, we'll assess everything as a team, make any move we need to going forward. I'm not going to go into that right now. You know, some interpreted that to mean that offensive coordinator, Jason Garrett, in grave danger. Is there another kind? And the news broke yesterday, midday. Garrett out as the offensive coordinator of the New York Giants. As I acknowledge, you know, the house is on fire and you're basically just you know, putting it out in one room. There's a lot more that needs to be done. Sure. But it's an acknowledgement, I think, by somebody in that organization that they, they know, they understand that there are problems that need to be solved, and they now commence the process of trying to solve them on the fly. The old changing of the tire on the moving car. It worked for the Ravens in 2012 when they fired Cam Cameron and elevated Jim Caldwell. They won the Super Bowl that year. Yeah, don't think amazing. the Giants are going to be on that same track. No, but. No. But it, it, it's, it is, it's an acknowledgement, I think, now that I've had a chance to sleep on it, it's a perfect acknowledgement that something needs to change. Right. Plus, it's kind of a Hail Mary throw. Like, maybe something will get better. Maybe we can shake things up a little bit and, and get better improvement out of the team and win some games. And, you know, who knows? The yeah. seventh seed is wide open. If they get hot down the stretch, if this, if this gives them the, the shock to the system that they need, then, uh, you know, maybe they still have a chance. Yeah, I, I Probably mean, not. Yeah, maybe probably not. You're right. Probably not. But, I mean, I think it's a little bit of what you said. I think it's a look to the future, knowing that, like, something has to be done. You know, yeah, Joe Judge, he's, of course, you know, he's worried about his own butt a little bit and understands that, you know, changes are going to have to be made regardless going into year three of, of, of his coaching tenure there with the New York Giants. So I think he looks at it that way, too, to like, wait, let's figure this out. Let's see if we can, you know, ha- have some bright spots and bright moments and, you know, build on some things here towards the end of the year that, you know, can carry us with a little momentum into the off season. But I think it's it's a lot of different things. Yeah, it's about this year. I think it's about the future. I think it's about what's not happened. I mean, he said it. Yeah, they got to score more points. You know, we've we've talked about it. The offensive line stinks. I don't think that was always fair or easy for Jason Garrett to like game plan around. But certainly, you know, you could certainly make the argument that yeah, they shouldn't be one of the the thirtieth ranked scoring offense in football. They do have some you know talented skill guys. They've been in and out of the lineup. And I think it's like ultimately what it comes down to is, yeah, lack of production, um, maybe lack of creativity and things there. Like you can handle not having success 
if you feel like, wow, we, I mean, we did some great things on the offensive side of the ball. We moved the ball. There was some excitement. The fans liked it, you know, and you still lose games. There's something there to be said about that. But that wasn't even happening either, let alone, I think, like, the regression we've seen a little bit from Daniel Jones this year. I think all of those have to be what worries the Giants and why ultimately they made a decision that, I'm not really shocked. I'm shocked because it happened the day, you know, Thanksgiving week, but not really shocked. I think we knew this might be coming here at some point. 2016, Jason Garrett's coach of the year with a rookie quarterback, right. in Dak Prescott, mm -hmm. a rookie running back in Ezekiel Elliott. Has the offense fundamentally changed since then? Is it just an issue of personnel? Let's also remember yeah. dominant offensive line in Dallas at the time. Right. Is it just a matter of you look like a genius as an offensive coordinator if you have better players, and you look like an idiot as an offensive coordinator if your players aren't very good? Well, it, it can certainly do that to you. I mean, if you have really good players, you could be an average offensive coordinator and still look like, hey, I'm one of the best out there. I'm not going to say that was the case for Jason Garrett, he certainly had some things stacked against him here with the New York Giants. But, you know, I also think, hey, it's 2021. You know, what's the identity of your offense? What's there to be excited about? You know, and there just seemed to be moments of, yeah, okay, we can't run the ball, we can't protect, but what, what are we going to do creative to kind of try to, you know, help, help those issues? And I think that's the thing that frustrated Giants fans and probably frustrated the coaching staff, too. You know, just the fact of maybe fact of uh, lack of new ideas, new schemes, you know, something there, you know, behind that, uh, the creativity department, I think has, you know, maybe been lost a little bit by Jason Garrett here in the last few years. And that's what underwhelmed Giants fans and I think the organization in general. It, it is always odd to me to see a guy who was so quickly hired by a coach get run out the door less than two full seasons after getting the job. Like, you hired the guy. What what went wrong there? And remember the, the weird thing that happened last year with the offensive line coach getting into it with Joe Judge, and yeah. that was a guy that – Jason Garrett brought was it Mark Colombo? Is that who it was? Yeah, Mark. I, I don't. I don't yeah. want. I don't want to defame Columbo, anyone. Yeah. There was some sort of a right. some sort of an incident, some sort of an altercation, and that may have been the first moment that Joe Judge kind of looked sideways at Jason Garrett, saying, "This is your guy, and this guy is, you know, a, whatever it was, they didn't click." And and I guess that's part of it too, when you're when you're putting a staff together, you can't always get the guys that you want. Sometimes you get the guys that maybe, maybe yeah. somebody higher up wants. Hey, you I, know, Jason Garrett used to be, he was the fair-haired guy. He was the guy in demand. We've dealt with him for all these years. He was with us. Yeah. Let's go get him. Right. And Joe Judge was like, I don't really know him. Well, we'll make it work. And, yeah. you know, sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. Uh -huh. And maybe that may be the simplest explanation. These two guys just didn't click. I think that's fair to say. I think that's a fair question, 100%. I mean, it always seemed a little weird as far as how it went down, as far as Jason Garrett, the offensive coordinator, Joe Judge. It seemed like Jason Garrett, I mean, it was, yeah, you know, we don't know. How was he, maybe he was forced on Joe Judge, period. There could certainly be that angle. And you said, yeah, the, the Giants have a, had a prior relationship with Jason Garrett. You know, it is Joe Judge. You know, and the fact that, yeah, he's a first-time head coach. You know, of course, first time in the NFL to go along with that. 
to where maybe that's how they sold it to him. Hey, he's been a head coach. You can lean on him for experience, how to handle certain situations. And maybe that is part of the issue here, that it was a little bit forced on Joe Judge. And it wasn't exactly what he wanted, maybe from an X's and O's standpoint or just an overall approach standpoint for what he believes in. I, I think that's a really fair question to ask. I mean, to me, it was one of the first things that went through my mind when this went down yesterday. It was just like, you know, I, I always questioned where this marriage began between the two. And then, of course, when the results don't, you know, pan out on the football field and you got a quarterback that, you know, everybody wants to turn the corner and that doesn't work. And then there just seems to be lack of, you know, maybe sometimes situational awareness and creativity like we saw, like we didn't see on, on, you know, Monday night. I think it just all came to a head where enough was enough and they realized the future wasn't with Jason Garrett. And this is one of the things about the sport of football that fascinates me. It's when the human factors trickle in because right. I look at it this way two mm -hmm. things first once a head coach always a head coach I think once you've been the guy it's very difficult to revert to not being the guy especially when you've got not quite full-blown pelts on the horse but you've been there you've done that you've shown Definitely. you know what you're doing now you're the lieutenant for some young guy that's never done anything so I, I think that there's a natural tension there. And look, every coach, not everyone, most of the coaches who aren't head coaches want to be head coaches. They have their own agendas. You know, they'll jump around from team to team. That's why it was so awkward to see Joe Judge talking about what the fans rights are you know, the, these guys will go wherever the paycheck is wherever the job is they understand that they're giants one year patriots the next year panthers the next year wherever it goes whatever it takes but my point is they've all got their own personal ambition and that's going to create some awkwardness that's going to create some suspicion who do you really trust i think one of the reasons why nepotism is a thing in the nfl is that you know you're not quite sure who you can trust, but if my kid's on my staff, I know I can trust my kid to not stab me in the back or undermine me when I, I walk you. out of the room sure. or develop relationships directly with the players that are counter to the message I'm trying to send. There's a lot of trust that you need to have as the head coach of a team, and there's a lot of different ways that an assistant coach can subtly breach that trust in a way that maintains plausible deniability. I never said anything. Yeah, not, don't look sure, at me. Sure. I'm not, you know. So that that's just part of that complex psychological stew that I think goes on in a coaching staff. I, I don't disagree with that. You're right. I mean, that's why you see certain coaches, they got certain guys on their staffs for years where you just go, man, that guy hasn't been that great of a coordinator or a defensive line coach or whatever, but they're always together. Yeah, because of like what you said, it's a tough job. It's tough as it is. You don't want people you don't trust behind you in the background that you just don't go, wait, they're not same, They're not on the same page I am or fighting the good fight or trying to send out the message to your point that I want sent out to that particular room or that unit or however you want to phrase it. So that is a real thing. And, of course, that can make a head coach feel uncomfortable. And I, I, I don't doubt that there's probably a little element of that, definitely. And then added to that, you know, not from the same coaching tree or to have the same approach, you know, that that's another thing too. Yeah, New England, that way of life how they approach the game on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, not all coaches fit into that mold. They don't. 
Uh, it's it, it's a it's a different way. It's a little bit more cutthroat. It's cold. It's not buddy buddy the way they do things there. And if you're not a part of that or not a part of that same type of mentality and grind, I think that could add to the element you're talking about too, where a head coach could be looking out of the corner of his eye going, well, that's not how things were done where I came from or what I used to see or how Belichick or McDaniels used to approach it. And that probably is part of the reason why you know you cut the cord in this situation too. There's probably not only results that are underwhelming on the field, but you know, maybe an approach off the field that isn't exactly what you want either that you feel like maybe is affecting what's happening on the field as well. And when that happens, yeah, it's hard to be successful. It's hard to come up with the proper game plans and everybody being on the on the same page on the coaching staff. Hey, another reason that maybe a guy who isn't all that great with X's and O's and teaching fundamentals and whatnot stays on his staff, eyes and ears for the head coach, eyes and ears, right? Keep keep and watch for anything that may happen that may undermine the head coach when the head coach isn't around. And that's that's part of it. And that's why in football it's even more fascinating because the coaching staffs are so big. There's so many different personalities that are thrown into that pot. That's just what makes it something that, you know, they they cover it up. They aren't as as candid with it as they could be for good reason. But you have things that happen, like what went down between Mark Colombo and Joe Judge last year. So Freddie Kitchens, the former Browns head coach, who did a good enough job in 2018 running the Cleveland offense to qualify himself for a job that he ultimately wasn't suited to fulfill because he lasted one year as head coach of the Browns. He gets a chance to call the plays moving forward. He's technically, I think, the tight ends coach. Yep, right. But now he's going to call the plays. And, you know, when it comes down to calling plays, I mean, the problem is if your team just isn't very good, if you don't have the capability, if you can't block, like, it doesn't matter what plays you call. None of them work. No. And I feel like yeah. that's what it was Monday night. He could have called every play in the playbook at some point that night and none of them would have worked I, I, I mean agreed that's where you know again I'll, I'll defend Jason Garrett and the fact that there was some you know factors here that certainly I would look at to go well it's tough I mean it's tough it's tough to have a good offense when you're in the conversation for having the worst offensive line in football that's tough it really is and that's to me where you know I think Joe Judge is smart enough to realize like the circumstances at hand as far as yeah we've had injuries to some key players and yeah the offensive line is not great I, I think he's smart enough to realize that I, that's where I go back to thinking that it's a lot of the other factors that are along with this that it's you know yes yeah, certainly we'd like to see a little more production and creativity on the field but there's a fundamental difference I think in maybe the approach and that's why you just cut the cord now and maybe see if Freddie Kitchen does have what you like as far as on that side of the ball calling the plays. Either way, you know, you start to think and, and tinker about who could be the next offensive coordinator uh, for next year. But I, I think it's got to be a little of all of that because I can't imagine Joe Judge would just fire him just because of, you know, what we've seen on the field. You know, I know it's, it's, it hasn't been pretty. There's not been really – one marquee offensive game you can point to, you know, the last two years from the New York Giants. And sure, we can blame Jason Garrett, but I think we could also, like, uh, like you bring it up, the offensive line's a very real thing. Um, but nonetheless, we know it's a results business, and people want to see creative things to hide the flaws on your offense. And I think that's what made Giants fans 
uh, frustrated with Jason Garrett. Said Garrett in a statement issued yesterday, one of the things that motivated me to accept this position was the opportunity to help rebuild the Giants into a contending team. We knew there would be many challenges. My expectations for our offense were much greater than what our results have been, and I accept full responsibility for that. Look, that's noble and maybe appropriate, but the question is, if Jason Garrett's firing is step one, What's step two? Yeah. Who who needs to be, you know, concerned that their key card isn't going to work this morning when they show up? And it's not necessarily this morning, but who's the next one to go now that they've started down this path of making people accountable with their jobs? Yeah, I you know, that that's one where I'd be interested to see where it goes. I'm going to play the card or, or bet that nothing happens. I'm going to say this is the marquee move of this year. And then if anything else happens, it's going to happen in the offseason. I mean, it's to me, it's, 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 whoa, you know, you're really climbing an uphill battle. You're going to go finish the last, you know, six, seven games here without an offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator. I know there's Giants fans out there. They're going, well, what about Patrick Graham? That the defense hasn't been great either. Well, yeah, they got some issues on that side of the ball too, that I think we could point to, to the players on the field to go, man, that's tough. Just like Jason Garrett on the offense. The thing Patrick Graham has a little bit is again, I think going back to what we started this conversation, there's a fundamental approach that probably agrees with Joe Judge there too. They came from New England. So, you know, they're in the same trust tree for all the points that you've made. And I think the points I'm trying to make is just as far as off the field approach, work, how you do all of that. And, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if there's any more big-time cutthroat moves here. But wow. uh, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. This is just this was the move that he knew he was going to have to make at some point. He did it, and it puts everybody on notice and puts a, a flame under everybody's butt here at the end of the year to see – if we can get the best out of everybody going into you know December and, and early January. What if they've already decided Dave Gettleman's out as GM? Do you go ahead and make the move now and commence the process of of finding the replacement and letting the fans know that, that you get it, we understand it, that this ultimately is a talent thing, not a coaching thing, and we're going to take extra time to search for a general manager who will be paired with Joe Judge, and we're going to make sure that this is somebody who wants Joe Judge, and we're going to move forward with the coach that we don't believe is the problem and without the GM who, frankly, all objective evidence would suggest is the problem. Yeah, you're right. Well, I think there's a lot that points there, certainly. You know, and I think Jason Garrett is be fair to, yeah, point, you know, to that a little bit for him as far as why he got fired. It's tough. It's tough to make a good meal when the ingredients aren't that great. You know, but I think what the Giants come down, what it comes down to, like to me, it would be two things if I try to put myself in their shoes a little bit. Just, you know, one, are you are you are you definitely going to fire a Dave Gettleman? I mean, if if you feel like okay, as a family, the Maras and the Tishes, they know they're going to go that route at the end of the year, then then I am a I would say go ahead and make that move. You know, as long as you're you're willing to, I think the second part of that is just realize that yeah, this year's over. You're chalking it up and. You know, you're going to have to answer a lot of questions about this, you know, the last month and a half of the year, just about where the franchise is going. Do you want to open up Pandora's box to that? You know, that that to be that that would be the two things I think you would have to think about there, certainly. But, you know, I, I'm I, I don't know where where do you lie there, Mike? I feel like, hey, if you feel like you're going to make that move, you know, for all the reasons you talked about, I would go ahead, get it done. 
It's the New York freaking Giants. It's still a special organization. There's still going to be a lot of people that want that job. And, yeah, you get a little head start on, you know, getting in some people's ears and having some conversations behind the scenes about maybe who you want, you know, going into the future. This was the debate that transpired several years ago when Mike McCarthy was fired in early December by the Packers. There yeah. was the argument that it's disrespectful to him, let him finish the year. The other side of it is, look, we're going to start looking for our next coach. And word's going to get out that we're looking for our next coach. So let's just go ahead and vacate the premises so everybody knows we're looking for our next head coach. And I look at it that way. If John Mara or anyone else in that organization is beginning the process of evaluating who the next GM will be, just get rid of the GM you currently have. Give someone, whether it's Kevin Abrams or someone else, an opportunity to do the job on an interim basis for the rest of the year just to get a sense of whether or not it could possibly work, a little on-the-job audition. Right. And then then you've, you've got maximum opportunity to cast the broadest possible net to find the person who will be the best to work with your current head coach. And the reality is if you find along the way somebody that you really, 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 really like that may not be tied to your head coach, that changes the analysis a little bit. So it there does. is some risk here, I think. Sure. To, to, I don't like it. I do, let me say this. I, I don't, don't like changing the GM and keeping the coach. Right. Get rid of everybody or get rid of nobody. But this, this is what dysfunctional teams, frankly, end up doing dysfunctional teams do dysfunctional things and it is dysfunctional inherently to put yourself in a spot where you're keeping your coach and you're bringing in a new person who is supervising the coach who may want someone else to have that job you don't want that on the way in the door you don't want it you you and you don't even want to question whether you've got it you want you, and it's and I've said this before. It's it's like the old remember the old three legged race they would do at parades. That's what a coach and a GM have to be. You are tied together, and you either both no run doubt. or you both fall. Yeah, that's the way. That's the no way doubt. it needs to be right. in order to make sure everyone's on the same page. And because when it, when when there's adversity, and there always is at some point, you don't want the coach. Yeah, blaming the GM. Right. You don't want the GM. Blaming the coach. Yeah. They're together. That's what you need. No, you're right. I mean, listen, that's the formula that works for for just about every successful organization through the history of time. I mean, there's no doubt. There has to be that cohesiveness there. And, you know, that's where, again, do the Giants want to, you know, pull the cord or, you know, pull the cord on Dave Gettleman and have more of the, you know, dysfunction conversations surround their team right now or maybe they just go it already is that conversation the hell with it let's just you know continue to go on down that road I know it's a tough one Mike that's where I go back to yesterday you know again as you know I'm I'm a believer in Joe Judge Uh, I, I would love to see them get a GM that is a Joe Judge backer maybe from the New England system again or somebody that knows him that's certainly going to give him his his due shot with the proper roster and team. And then you know you say something to that GM where, hey, listen, if it doesn't work, then we'll give you one shot to hire your guy and you bring somebody in and we go from there. But, man, I don't know. You know, again, like I said yesterday, I don't have the same feeling with Joe Judge as I did with Shermer or McAdoo where I just went, whoa, they're totally you know in over their head here. Joe Judge, I know it's not been pretty, but – um, you know my thoughts about the way he kind of handles the team and the game plans going forward for the most part. The approach has been the right way to me as a football guy, uh, but he needs some help and needs some better ingredients to, to get better results. That's, that's the biggest thing, and 
that's where I don't know where it goes. And Mike, last thing too, I just wanted to bring this up because with all the GM talk and the Mike McCarthy, you know, analogy you used, you know, for me, for a GM, for the GM position, I think it's even more important to pull the cord and get the conversation going uh, over the coach. Because what, what I really would be worried about is, okay, now we're going to go into the offseason. The season's over. We're the second week of January. Man, that's a time where, you know, end of January, early February, you really start to come up with your plans a little bit as, as where the future of your team, where do you want it to go? You start building your plan through free agency and your own team's free agents and who do you want to keep and, you know, that to me is a big part of, you know, this decision the Giants will have with Dave Gettleman too, because you want to get that process started to have a guy in there to kind of start laying the groundwork to get on the right page with Joe Judge too at some point, and uh, that that's certainly something that crosses my mind. And it's hardly ideal to make these changes in January when you're talking about a new front office because. You've already got your draft plans. Yeah, they're happening. Right, two first round picks. I know next year. That's why I held by the want Giants. To do it quick. And, I think here and and both both are going to be potentially pretty high because yeah. it's the Bears' first round pick that they hold right now. It's the fifth and seventh pick that uh, will be held by the Giants. So um, they already are formulating their plan on what to do with it. So you're going to turn your plan upside down. You're going to bring in somebody new. You don't want to put yourself behind. You don't want to make it a Herculean task, and you don't want to basically forfeit a year of development because you accept, well, there's only so much we're going to get done. Yeah, we just right. do what we can. You right. you want to have continuity. And, and look, this is one of the reasons why the good teams are good teams, why the functional teams do functional things. They don't put themselves in a spot like this. They don't have to. They don't have these conversations. Look at Pittsburgh. You're not firing Mike Tom. You're not firing Kevin Colbert. When one season ends, we move on to the next one. So let's move on to the next topic as it relates to the team that gave up next year's first round pick to move up in the draft to get a quarterback that again assuming the Bears are a functional team sends the signal that they're going to have at least a couple of years of Matt Nagy as the coach and Ryan Pace as the GM while they give Justin Fields a chance to get ensconced that may not be the case there was a report yesterday from a Pulitzer Prize winning longtime Chicago reporter named Mark Conkle, who doesn't cover the Bears. But once I saw this guy won a Pulitzer at the Chicago Sun-Times, I was ready to say you perked up. it's worth it's worth right. sharing with our audience. And it it had it had caught fire and the Bears did nothing to turn a hose to it for like three hours. So the report was there that Matt Nagy has already been told, was told Monday, that he will be fired after the Thanksgiving game in Detroit. The Bears said nothing by way of a statement. What they did, they made Nagy available. 1 o'clock Eastern yesterday. Here's what he had to say in response to the report. Matt, there's a report today that you've been informed that this your last game as president. That is not accurate. You know, I have not, um, you know, I have great communication with ownership, with George and Ted and, and Ryan, but uh, I have not had any discussions. What have been your discussions with George and Ted and Ryan this week? Just uh, um, for for uh, th this week, we have not talked um, this week, and that's that was scheduled. You know, that's been uh, we we have a, a good schedule over the years where we have discussions. Um, like like you guys always hear us talk about. You know, we have constant um, communication. Uh, I, I always think it's good and healthy, and um, and so we we stayed on course. And with the bye week, and then with the short turnaround uh, with game prep, um, we have not. 
He did a nice job overall, fairly short press conference of dealing with the uncertainty. He made it clear he's focused on getting his team ready. He doesn't want to let his team get distracted by this talk. He wasn't even mad about the report. Flash, no anger. There was no Mike Tomlin, Mike drop, walk-off moment. He was just, I get it. I understand people have a job to do. But I will say this. When he says there's no discussions, there's no discussions to have. If If you've just been told you're out. It's over. You're done. What discussions are there? You're you're fired. Okay. End of discussion. The other thing too, and this is what's making me a little bit wary and a little bit like I'm not I'm not ready to say this is a non-issue. Why wasn't there a statement from George McCaskey or Ted Phillips or Ryan Pace in the three hours between? And it was probably more than three hours by the time that you know the report actually landed right. to the moment that Nagy went to the podium. It may yep. have been four hours. Why is there silence from the organization? Like, if anybody's going to lie, let's have the guy lie who isn't going to be here. The people who are still going to be here, let's not put them in a position where they have to lie about this. So, and, and, and oh, man, you're too cynical. Oh, man, you think everybody... Well, yeah, because we've seen it time and again. Sure. Part of my job here is to be that crap filter to help the audience understand that the things that we are told, the things that are said, quite often aren't the things that are actually happening. So nothing was said by the people who supposedly said, you're out. It was just Matt Nagy, the one who's already, he's already gone. I mean, if, if, if the report's true, he's already gone. So let's let him be the one who has to go say the report isn't true. Uh, there have been no discussions. Well, maybe there don't need to be discussions. Maybe you got an email. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't Ted Phillips or George McCaskey who told him. Maybe somebody else delivered the message. Who, who knows? Again, dysfunctional teams do dysfunctional things. Yeah, I hear you. So I, I'm not. I'm not ready. I'm not ready to say. Let's ignore the Pulitzer winner. He was barking up the wrong tree. He's making something up. Or, or he's just misinformed. I, I, I'm not ready to say that based on what happened yesterday. No, I don't. I mean, you know, again, if you, you ask me, just sitting here connecting dots, I would think maybe that he heard from somebody reliable that, you know, this could be coming. I have a hard time believing that he's been told, he's hey, hey, you're going to be fired, but grind it out for the toughest four days of the year right here. I mean, listen, I think if you and me they told me you're going to get fired, I'd go, hey, F you, I'll see you later. Happy Thanksgiving. I'm out of here. I mean, that's where I have a hard time believing that he do was. Do you get your buyout if you do that, though? Right. I don't know what he's got left on his contract. I, I'd, I'd I think have a hard. Probably, I think yeah. you probably got to keep. You got to keep paddling the boat until the point well, they take the paddle out of your hands, or you may give up your buyout. Well, maybe, but my my point is like I've never really. That, that's such a. I don't think that's happened any time in recent history. I, I I mean maybe a long time ago, but I have a hard time thinking of a circumstance any time here in the last 15 to 20 years where in the NFL, a head coach was told, you know, midway, a little past the midway point of the season, you're going to be fired after this next game. That, that to me, I just, I, I don't believe that. Now, do I think maybe some of those conversations are going on behind the scenes in Chicago? Yes, probably. Yeah, they're probably having some of the same conversations we just talked about with the New York Giants and Jason Garrett and everything there. You know, there's a lot of similarities. What's the identity of the offense? Yeah, there's some issues, but there's no like light at the end of the tunnel. You know, where's the creativity? We know the offense isn't perfect as far as the players on the field, but you know, give us something, give us some hope there. 
And that's where I think Matt Nagy is, you know, not delivered to the Bears fan base or, or anybody that watches football from, from that standpoint. So I don't know. I mean, I guess in my heart of hearts, I would think, yes, the Bears, you know, brass is having these kind of conversations. I don't think that they told him on Monday, this will be your last game, you know, and go grind it out. I have a hard time getting behind that. Um, so I guess that's my, my two cents on that. Dan Reeves apparently had that happen. Three games left in the 2003 okay, season good with job. the Atlanta Falcons. Right. That's that's Pete's uh, information. It's rare Looking is what I'm saying. I, it's very rare. Only, only coach since 2000 fired after a win okay. midseason. Because I was, I was wondering how, what happens if the Bears win this game. It's going to be weird to get the coach fired in the immediate aftermath. Last year it was Matt Patricia out the door after – the Thanksgiving loss by the Lions. It just yeah. would be weird to see the coach who wins the game go. But, you know, the the report was, and it, and it was not equivocal. It was he's been informed that that this is it. So, uh, and just because a guy has won a Pulitzer doesn't give him, you know, a lifetime pass. Everybody makes mistakes at one time or another, but I don't think he goes with this. No, I agree. I understand what you're saying. If he saying. doesn't believe his source right, and, if right. he, and if it's not. Now, now, here's the other side of it, too. The fact that it got out. Sometimes when something gets out, the thing that was going to happen doesn't happen. That, and, and, and maybe it was going to happen. But now that it's out in the open and they had to deal with it yesterday, they've decided now we probably shouldn't do this. But, but, but we'll see. We'll see. There's only one way to find out. Play the game tomorrow, see what happens afterward. Yeah. Is Nagy in? Is Nagy out? Does he continue? Is he fired? Well, and and there's there's definitely a groundswell in Chicago. No doubt. For this to happen. When they're chanting it at the Bulls game. Yeah. The, the, then you know, this is this is something real, that is real. That the Bears need to take seriously because at some point your your fans are gonna revolt and they're the ones you're counting on to follow and support your team. And you're never gonna fire the owner. So sometimes you gotta fire all the other people. And it starts with the coach. But I will say this. Yeah. Because I made this point two years ago. If they're going to start firing people, it's time to fire Ted Phillips, the president of the team. Right. The, the, these organizations, most of them, have someone who's in a job that allows credit to be taken yeah. when things go well. Right. And when things go poorly, they go huddle up with the owner and say, well, who are we going to fire? Who are yeah. we going to hire? Right. And that person's never in a position where they're accountable, and I could start naming names. You you could go through the list of teams, and for a lot of them, there's that person. And for, for some of them, it's not obvious. They do a good job keeping their head low and their mouth shut so they're never on the firing line. Sure. But most teams have that that person who, who lasts through multiple regimes yes. and hires the regimes. I mean, hey, Ted Phillips hired Phil Emery. Ted Phillips hired Mark Trestman. Sure. There have not been good hires made yep. by the Chicago Bears. At some point, somebody's got to wake up above Ted Phillips and say, maybe he's got to go. Yeah, I maybe hear Maybe he's part of the right. problem. Maybe, yes. And I mean, maybe the time has come for that conversation to be had. Yeah, I, you know, you know, Pete's, Pete's in my ear going, yeah, he's been the president since 1999. I mean, yeah, you made the point. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hasn't been a ton of success for a franchise that, has a lot of the pieces to to be successful as far as a great fan base and you know uh, a, a, a organization that has history. Yeah, when it happens like those type of things, which you're explaining with Ted Phillips, it it seems like yeah, the ultimate teacher's pet type of conversation yes. there, and that goes on in the NFL. It certainly does. Where 
Yeah, there's probably we could probably sit here and list off eight, ten people. We'd go, I don't know how the hell that guy keeps his job, but damn, does somebody in that organization trust him, or he sold them on something, or he's got you know he's got back you know bad pictures on the the owner or something. I mean, that, that's really what it seems like at times. But I think like what you said to me, Mike, is the real thing. I got to th- there's a real groundswell in Chicago. You can feel it. It's a little different than what we've heard over the last 3 years or the last let's say year and a half when people have really criticized Nagy. You know, it does seem a little bit more tangible right now. There is definitely, you know, real issues. I think the the fan base looks at it and goes, "Man, there's just no there's no hope. We got Justin Fields, he's talented. Doesn't even seem like we can use him the right way." You know, those are positive things. I don't think people even want to see what the future could be like with Nagy and Justin Fields. And the other thing I'll say, too, is, you know, you brought up last year with Detroit. To me, this is one thing, yeah, I definitely would not be shocked if we saw the Bears fire Matt Nagy this this weekend at some point. If they lose to the Detroit Lions, I would think he's going to get fired. Just like what happened to Patricia last year. They got dominated by a not-good Texans team And I think that's when they went, whoa, Thanksgiving, marquee game. That's the effort we put out. The Texans aren't even good. And Deshaun Watson and company just came in here and marched all over us. And he had like one of the best days of the year. And I think if that happened to Chicago here, you know, vice versa, where it's the 0-9-1 Lions and they pull off an upset and win the football game and it doesn't look good in Chicago, I would be very nervous about Matt Nagy getting on the plane after the game for sure. Ted Phillips started working with the Bears in 1983 as the team's controller. He became director of finance four years later. I mean, the guy's been there for almost 40 years. And I was talking to somebody in Chicago yesterday. I mean, basically what happened was when the salary cap came along in the early 90s, he figured it out. He was the first one in the right. organization to that, figure it out. That's what he's famous Managed for. the cap. Yeah. Ma- makes, makes the Bears a lot of money. Endeared himself to Virginia McCaskey. Right. I mean, th- there are certain employees of football organizations that transcend wins and losses, even though they have an impact on wins and losses. And it, it takes a lot for that person to be on the line. And I think a couple of years ago, when... The seats were heating up. Phillips kind of got dragged into it, and uh, I, I just I think I think it's I think it's fair and it's appropriate to make that person responsible. Three playoff wins in 22 years under his regime as the president of the organization. Now, hey, they've probably made a ton of money. See that that's that's where reality splits. We want to win the Super Bowl every year. Well, we know we're not going to. How much money did we make? Yes. <laughs> yeah, keep sure. the president employed. Well done. Here's your bonus check. Let's keep going. And all we have to do is say we want to win the Super Bowl every year and that stadium's going to be full because the fans are going to believe that we're actually trying to win the Super Bowl when we're just, you know, trying to make as much money as we can because we're a for-profit enterprise. I'm sorry, folks. I'm, I'm so, I, I know it makes fans mad because they, they want to suspend disbelief that there's a purity to it. There isn't. There isn't. These are businesses that are trying to make as much money as possible. And yeah, along the way, somebody's going to win the Super Bowl. And some of the organizations really do want to win the Super Bowl. Most of them, they'd like to, but they're not going to define success based upon whether or not they win the Super Bowl because they know they're going to be pissed off far more often than they're happy if that's how they determine success. They determine success 
with the great Mamu. No Speaking of that great Mamu, let's uh, take a break. And so we can make a little of the great Mamu. <laughs> well, at least we acknowledge it. We'll be back with more PFT Live right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Treat Dad to the good stuff at Nordstrom Rack and save big. Father's Day is Sunday, June 16th, and Nordstrom Rack's got gifts Dad will love, up to 60% off. Shirts, activewear, watches, cologne, denim, and more. Find amazing deals on Tommy Bahama, Cole Haan, Original Penguin, and Vince. Great brands, great prices. So get to your Nordstrom Rack store now and make Dad's Day with gifts up to 60% off. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Nineteen ninety-three, week thirteen, Thanksgiving, snow and ice and blocked field goal, and Jerry Jones is excited, and Leon Letts a little too excited. Uh oh, when you touch the ball, that makes it a live ball that allowed the Dolphins oh, the to best. recover and ultimately win the game. The Cowboys ultimately won the Super Bowl, so that was well yeah. that ended well. Right, but right. Uh, that and was he had special the, day. He had Leon Lett had the all-time. Other gaff in a victory, returning the just ten months before that turnover. Eleven months yeah, before and that. Yeah. Uh, Don Beebe had the hustle play and knocked it out of his uh, out of his hands. So yeah. uh, two of the all time great gaffs, most memorable in the same calendar year, poorly on lat. And I, I, I that just I think of that game every year at Thanksgiving. How can you not? It was an NBC game, of course. And and the old Texas Stadium, yeah, with the hole in the roof. That allowed the elements to come in right. and, and allowed God to watch his favorite team, yep. as they used to and say. And I believe that that day it was uh, Bernie Kosar starting for the, the Dolphins, right? I want to say it was. I don't think Marino was playing. Pete, maybe you could look that up. Very – that was a 93, very – 93, wasn't that Scott Mitchell? Well, no, because Marino was still there, but he got hurt. And it, cause I, right, I, I think it's Scott Mitchell. You might be Scott right. Mitchell you might be in. right. It might be I, – I could be wrong. I, I, I can't remember exactly either. I guess I'm getting old. It's official. It was a great Thanksgiving, though. Of course, that was, you know, that was the year the Giants played the Cowboys, the last game of the year for the number one seed in the NFC playoffs. So, you know, uh, oh, it was Steve DeBerg. That's who it was. Steve DeBerg. Good job, Pete. I knew it was a backup, you know, famous quarterback that way. But that was a great day, yes, because in our household, not only were we eating Thanksgiving, we were glad the Cowboys lost because – that was advantage Giants, and uh, we knew how good the Cowboys were, and the Giants needed to have home field advantage to beat them if they wanted to go to the Super Bowl or do any of that. 
Mitchell must have been injured, though, because 93 was the year that Marino had the non-contact Achilles tendon injury. It opened the door for Mitchell to play just well enough to get a huge contract in free agency in 94. And in 95, he had an epic Thanksgiving performance against the Vikings, a very high-scoring, like, 44-38, 41-35 type of a game when they they really had a great team with Barry Sanders and some some great receivers like Herman Moore, uh, Scott Mitchell, and they they were they they were a perennial playoff team for the most part in the '90s. They just yeah. could never do anything right. once they they got there. They haven't been to the NFC Championship since '91. They haven't won a playoff game since '91. Anyway, I will see both teams, the Lions and the Cowboys, playing on Thursday. Jerry Jones, the owner of the team, who we saw celebrating prematurely the victory over the Dolphins, not celebrating the fact that Amari Cooper will miss Thursday's game due to a COVID positive, in part because he's not vaccinated. Here's Jerry Jones speaking yesterday on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas about Cooper's situation. Jerry, are you disappointed in Amari? Well, I'm I'm just, uh, you know, uh, again, I said it early you check me at the door in uh, a football team. Uh, that has nothing to do with the issues of masking, not masking, getting vaccinated, not getting vaccinated. And if I have a tone, I shouldn't. It just has nothing to do with it. The facts are it is a wee thing when you walk into uh, the locker room and anybody is being counted on to uh, pull his weight. Everybody expects that. They look around at each other. They understand everybody's rights. They do. We do. Everybody understands our rights. Now, Mark Cooper is outstanding, folks. He's one of the highest character guys that you will ever be around in any area. But this is a classic case of how it can impact a team when people are, at the end of the day, this is not individual. It is team. You cannot win anything individually. Right. So so all of that are statements that I know everybody has heard to their blue in the face. But the point is that this popped us. Hey, and Jerry Jones wasn't the only one who had some candid comments about Cooper. It was Michael Irvin who was the first former player to come out and say in July, if you care about winning, you get vaccinated. And it wasn't a political thing. It was very simple. You do what you have to do to make yourself available to play. Right. The vaccine increases the likelihood that you will be available to play. Do what you have to do to be available to play. Because if you're not available to play, that's the kind of thing that causes us to lose a game. That's the kind of thing that causes us to not achieve our ultimate goal. And for, for all that we can say about the dysfunctional organizations out there that are just trying to make money, the Cowboys are indeed trying to win the Super Bowl every single year. Jerry Jones wants that trophy no doubt. badly. Right. And and this is the kind of thing that can get in the way of it. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's a conversation we've had, you know, 100 times already this year. Uh, you know, there's there's no other way to say it. Yeah, I mean, I we all, we all respect the personal decision Amari Cooper made. Yeah, okay, that's great. But, yeah, you're, you're, you're doing that at the cost of, you know, gambling with your team's success and, you know, your own success. And, of course, it, it, it can hurt your football team. Yeah, it would have been a different game if he's out there against the Kansas City Chiefs last week. Kansas City, hey, it's one less crazy matchup they had to worry about in that game. It allowed them to get in the face of the Cowboys maybe even more aggressively in coverage. You go, wait, no Amari Cooper? Fine. You know, let's play a little bit more, man. Let's put another guy in the box to stop the run game. 
So certainly affects the X's and O's department, you know, and then here it's the same conversation where we had about Aaron Rodgers. Cowboys are in the conversation to get the number one seed. Now you lose a game like that. Man, now it's a short week. It's the Raiders. They're desperate, you know. Yeah, you're a better team. One mistake. Oh, man, now you've lost two games. Better watch out. You know, now you're now you're now you're going, holy crap, here come the Eagles and we got to worry about the division. Forget the number one seed. So I think that's what Michael Irvin and Jerry Jones are talking about. And it is a team sport. And that's where, you know, we've argued this from the get go. It's a competitive advantage, let alone he doesn't get his own personal payback to the Raiders, who I'm sure he'd like to shove it up. You know where just because of how his his time there ended. So uh, it stinks for him personally. And of course, it stinks for the team. First of all, I am thankful for many things as Thanksgiving approaches. I am very thankful that you have learned that the phrase is not from get-go, but from the get-go. So he can be taught, folks. <laughs> he can be to taught. Point out these moments. And, and let, let's break this down and understand exactly what's going on here because I will undoubtedly hear from the you-can-still-get-COVID-if-you're-vaccinated crowd. And we've never said you can't. Number one, it helps you not get seriously ill and or die and number two you're less likely to be full of virus that gets shed all over everybody else and you can make the argument that it is harder to get it if you're vaccinated so let's just assume that all things were equal that he was going to get it no matter what here's the difference between being vaccinated and unvaccinated again assuming that he was destined to get it the day that he got it you get tested once a week if you're vaccinated. Yeah. Well, when he was tested last week as part of his regular weekly test, he would have been negative because he's tested every day as unvaccinated. When he was finally positive as unvaccinated on Thursday, I think it was. Right. That's when he's out for 10 days. Yeah. That's when he's definitely missing two games. If you're vaccinated now, now this is one of the flaws in the NFL's protocol. It's a flaw, he sure. Would have, he yeah. would have been positive right. playing on Sunday against the Chiefs. But guess what? Right. He would have played on Sunday against the Chiefs. Right. He wouldn't have missed two games. Right. He would have missed Thursday's game, assuming he tested positive on Monday as part of his normal weekly vaccinated status test. But he wouldn't have missed two games. He would have missed one. And that's where Michael Irvin comes in. This isn't about politics. This isn't about the broader scientific realities of the pandemic. It's very linear. It's very simple. What is my path that will allow me to play? Yeah. What is the path that maximizes my chances of playing? It is getting the vaccine. Right. Because if Amari Cooper had gotten vaccinated, he would have missed one game, not two. Would have missed one. And we don't know what would have happened on Sunday in Kansas City because he didn't play. But if he had played, could have been a different outcome. And at the end of the day, just like Aaron Rodgers not playing against Kansas City could be a factor yeah. for the Packers right. being the one seed. Yeah. Amari Cooper not playing against Kansas City could be a factor for the Cowboys. And oh, by the way, oh, by the way, the Chiefs have pulled a lucky card twice now no on the COVID roulette game. Right. I'm completely mixing my metaphors. But the point is, yeah. they could end up with a one seed because they had key games against two teams that didn't have key players. Because they weren't vaccinated. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I, yes. I, you know, again, it's Jerry said it right. It's a team sport. You know, and who knows? Jerry's beliefs, maybe he wasn't one that wanted to be vaccinated, but he did it for the best of his team, the NFL, whatever. Michael Irvin, damn, he'd do anything to win a football game. So, you know, he'd be vaccinated. That's why he's, you know, you respect him that way. 
I mean, he he he's just one of those guys. So yeah, that's that's where it comes down to is just what you're doing for your team. You're trying to win a Super Bowl. And that's where this argument lies, you know. And, and again, yeah, I know there's again, it's not a personal thing. I understand it. I certainly had some trepidation about getting vaccinated. Didn't necessarily want to do it, but did it for a lot of reasons that I felt were better for the community. I didn't want it on my, you know, guilty conscience, anything like that. You know, and people could say whatever they want. I understand, like, yes, we know you can still get sick if you're vaccinated and all of that. But like the numbers are the numbers. The places that are not vaccinated have more deaths, have more serious hospitalizations. The ones that are vaccinated, that it's way below that. There, there's a difference. So you can't like the unvaccinated can't say like, oh, can't always lay lie on that. No, we we have ah, proof. It doesn't matter. I know it doesn't matter because they're going to say whatever they have to I know. say. I'm just to feel better about their individual decision. Sure, to do it. That that that's fine. But they're not they're not being factual. You got to be in reality. Right. That, that doesn't that's matter. Where, you know, doesn't matter. I know. JFK Jr. still alive. Doesn't matter. I, I, that's the thing. Yes. It did that. That no longer Prince is alive too. By the way, he's coming over for mac and cheese tomorrow. But but I will say this: Wouldn't that be funny if Prince showed up at my house Very. tomorrow for mac and cheese? Very. Um, be odd if funny he was in West would Virginia. Just be, He'd be in that, West Virginia of all places. Be, I would have been like, that what? would be one of the adjectives <laughs> that would that would describe <laughs> that situation. Um, and and if we're gonna go down the path of individual decisions, I mean, look, you will you will encounter. On the path to being fully committed or not fully committed to playing football, you will encounter many individual decisions. This is just one of them. Ronnie Lott at one point encountered an individual decision. Right. Which entailed having a piece of his pinky removed so he could keep playing football. Yeah. That's an individual decision, and he chose the the path at the fork in the road that entailed being available to play football. So, yeah, it is an individual decision, and... And sometimes you make it in a way that doesn't uh, ensure that you'll be available for as many football games as possible. That was Michael Irvin's point. That's Jerry Jones' point. Yep, that is the and point. I can't help but wonder whether or not that's going to be a factor in whether or not they pay Amari Cooper $20 million next year to play receiver. They need him. He's good. But they got to be disappointed with, with what's gone on here, especially if it becomes a factor in keeping them from their ultimate goal of getting to the Super Bowl and winning it. When we return, one of the things that can keep a team from getting to the Super Bowl and winning it is bad calls. This week's look at bad calls, but not just bad calls. We're here to educate and inform as to some controversial calls that may require more careful discussion than, you know, 10 or 15 seconds that you may get elsewhere. So we'll do that when this Wednesday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. Treat dad to the good stuff at Nordstrom Rack and save big. Father's Day is Sunday, June 16th, and Nordstrom Rack's got gifts dad will love up to 60% off. Shirts, activewear, watches, cologne, denim, and more. Find amazing deals on Tommy Bahama, Cole Haan, Original Penguin, and Vince. Great brands, great prices. So get to your Nordstrom Rack store now and make dad's day with gifts up to 60% off. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 